topic tonight is from Isaiah chapter 28, verse 47, chapter 48, chapter 28, and chapter 47. Uh, many titles, short foundation, I think is the, the most important one that we'll see in it. Uh, but there's also a phrase, precept by, upon precept, very important aspect in these chapters. Uh, but the, most of the verses we will see in these two chapters will explain to us what God will do to the wicked, which is a very important topic as, as well. And I picked this time for this topic because uh, time of this uh, recording, uh, uh, Halloween is, is, is coming upon us when the wicked are celebrating, exactly, uh, death. And so what will God do with the wicked and their death? And this is one of the ways they celebrate uh, Halloween and death. Isn't that crazy? I mean, can you imagine? Um, I mean, I don't understand why anyone would dress up their child with any one of these things. Would they be happy if their child came home with a knife through his head and a knife thrown across his neck? Would, it, would he be happy if he came home with, with, a, with a butcher cleaver in his head um, uh, or dead, right, in a, in a skeleton? Would they be happy if their child was a skeleton now uh, or an evil witch or any witches? All evil, right? That's, that's double saying the same thing, right? Um, uh, or vampire, right? Drinking blood. Uh, or black cat, which is the symbol for them, anyway. Bad luck. They want bad luck upon their child. Is that what they're wishing upon their children? To send their kids out like that? It's absolutely horrible. And uh, one person said, uh, Halloween is the, uh, is the day of the year when, when uh, Bible, professed Bible-believing people... Uh, Believe in the devil, or worship the devil, right? And as then, oh, we say, oh, no, we wouldn't dress our kids up like this. No, we dress them up like Mickey Mouse, or you know, some other pagan thing, or whatever, or even whatever. But still, the whole day, the whole premise of the day, and the whole root of the thing is uh, is satanic. The origins of it satanic. The whole thing is satanic, through and through. Every aspect of it, the pumpkins and jack-o'-lanterns, the whole thing. Not pumpkins themselves, but jack-o'-lanterns, the whole thing. Right? It's just wickedness. So, what will God do to the wicked? First, chapter, chapter 28, starting verse 8, because we've done the first few verses uh, a, a different night of this chapter. For all the tables are full of vomit and filth. And I think that's a very appropriate description. Uh, verse 10, precept upon precept, Precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little, there a little. And that's how the Word of God should be read. That's how the Torah is to be read. That's how the Tanakh is to be read. Putting it all together. Reading verses here and there, comparing them together, bringing them together, reading them together, reading it as a holistic book. The whole book together. Here and there, everything. Not just picking our you know, favorite text and then just running with that, but looking at the whole scriptures all together. So very important theme, so important. We'll see, he mentions it twice. Verse 11, for with stammering lips and another tongue, he will speak to this people to whom he said, this is the rest with which you may cause the weary to rest. And this is the refreshing, the word of God, precept upon precept line upon line, yet they would not hear. They refused to hear. 
until with stammering lips and another tongue we speak. We speak the word of God. Trembling. It's the word of God. Yet they would not hear. They refused to hear. But the word of the Lord was to them precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little, there a little. They'd be faithful and preach it anyway if they don't want to hear it or not. That they might go, back, go and fall backward and be broken and snared and caught. It's our job to give the message, to give the word of the Lord. That they have no excuse in the judgment day. They will fall back because the word of God is mighty and powerful. And if we resist God's word, it will be to our own destruction. It will be broken, snared, and caught by the word of God because the word of God is truth. We can deny it, we can resist it, we can refuse to hear it, but it's still truth. And the message of its word and the reality of its word and what it says will happen, will happen, whether our ears are close to it or not. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion a stone for a foundation, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not act hastily. Trusting in the word of God. So we give the word of God precept upon precept, line upon line. They won't hear, but the Lord then gives. Because, therefore... Because we have refused, because we have refused to listen, because we fall back, have fallen back, God has given us a sure foundation that we can stand upon that rock and not fall anymore. A firm foundation, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone that all the rest of the building is built upon. And Yeshua is that cornerstone. That chief cornerstone that the builders rejected is a sure foundation that will not crack, that will not break, that is able to hold our weight and to carry our sins and to bear our griefs and to carry our burdens is a sure foundation, a strong foundation. Build our lives, build our house upon him Build our lives, build our house, build our future upon him. Not on the shifting sands, not on the changing attitudes of this world, not on things that change. We see that, just, people just change. Word of God says this, but we go with the flow. Whatever society now says, what is ever acceptable to society today. Whatever the majority think, or even sometimes whatever the minority thinks or has the loudest voice, or the most money, or whatever is being pushed. And so then we, religiosity is changing. People who profess believers in the word of God are changing by the popular opinion of today, instead of the word of God. They are not on a firm foundation. They're on a shifting sand, changing as times go, changing with popular opinion, changing with the feelings of the carnal heart. God calls us to be on the word of God, on that firm foundation. And Yeshua himself is the chief cornerstone. He is the word of God. Behold, he says, I lay in Zion a stone. Yeshua is that stone, that rock, 
that we can build our lives upon. And we won't be shaken. We won't fall back. We won't be broken as we stand upon that rock. Stand within his walls, in his gates. And whoever believes in him will not act hastily, will not act presumptuously, will not act upon the carnal heart, but will act according to the word of God. Will live and be and move according to the word of God. Whoever believes in him will also be sure and strong, grafted into him, bound to him, strong in him. I will make justice the measuring line. Not popular opinion, the measuring line. The justice, the word of God, will be the measuring line. Righteousness will be the plummet. Hail will sweep away the refuge of lies, and water will overflow the hiding place. Your covenant with death and Shaul, the grave, will be annulled and not stand. When the overflowing scourge passes through, you will be trampled by it. So we can make a pact with the devil, and run with the devil. They'll give sometimes fame or success for a time to some. When we run with the devil, eventually it will be annulled. God overrules our pact. They can make the pact with the devil and death and going down anyway. It'll be annulled. They'll pass through. They'll be trampled over. It'll be overflow. Over, it'll overflow them. For the Lord will rise up as out at Mount Perizim. He will be angry as in the valley of Gibeon, that he may do his work, his work of judgment, his work of measuring line. He, he will do his work, his awesome work, and bring to pass his act, his unusual act. Very interesting text. It says that eventually God's going to do something that seems so out of character for him. He calls it an unusual act. His work, his awesome work. His work upon the wicked. He will come. The merciful, loving, forgiving God who lays a foundation, who sends forth his son, stone in Zion, who provides forgiveness, who provides salvation, who provides a way out, who provides freedom from the burden of guilt and sin, who sets us free from the bondages of habits and addictions, of sinfulness in our carnal nature. He sets us free. His long-suffering, tender and compassionate, not willing that any should suffer. But this same God will in no wise clear the guilty as well. This same God will do and enact his unusual act his strange act, his awesome work. He will bring it to pass. The next verse tells us what it is. Now therefore do not be mocked, mockers, do not be mockers, lest your bonds be made strong. For I have heard from the Lord God of hosts, he will do his strange act, a destruction determined upon the whole earth. God will destroy this earth. That'll be his strange act. 
God who created this earth, God who is long-suffering to this earth. When wickedness built up, he informed Noah to build an ark, an escape, a salvation, a plan. Mercy upon the human race. And it's continued merciful after mercy, sending prophet after prophet, warning after warning. But eventually he will come and he will destroy once and for all this whole earth. That's his strange work. That's his unusual act. He will come. His awesome work will be accomplished. That's chapter 28. Let's look at chapter 47. Starting verse 1. Come down and sit in the dust, O virgin daughter of Babylon. Revelation talks a lot about Babylon. It's good contrast Zion, Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem with Babylon. We'll see a lot of Revelation analogies. Really, Revelation gets a lot of its analogies right from this chapter and other parts of Isaiah. O virgin daughter of Babylon, for you shall no longer be called tender and delicate. Your nakedness shall be uncovered. Yes, your shame will be seen, and I will take vengeance. In Revelation, it talks about Babylon, the, the, uh, the, the harlot, the whore, dressed in scarlet, decked in jewels, scarlet and, and purple, decked in gold and jewels. Your nakedness will be uncovered. Yes, your shame will be seen. I will take vengeance, saith the Lord. As for our Redeemer, the Lord of hosts is his name, the Holy One of Israel. So we have this contrast here, as we had in chapter 28, the sure foundation, the tried stone, versus the filth and the abomination and the wickedness of this earth. Here again, we have Babylon, and we have our Redeemer, the Lord of hosts is his name, the Holy One of Israel. The battle, the controversy of the ages. Sit in silence and go into darkness, O daughter of the Chaldeans. That's Babylon again. For you shall no longer be called the lady of kingdoms. And Revelation is the whore is riding on the, on the beast. Scarlet covered beast. You shall no longer be called the lady of the kingdoms. Revelation, she commits fornication with the kingdoms of this world. You'll no longer be called that lady. I was angry with my people. I have profaned my inheritance and I have given them into your hand. You showed them no mercy and on the elderly you laid your yoke very heavily. You said, I shall be a lady forever. So that you did not take these things to heart nor remembered the latter end of them. Denial. Therefore, hear this now, you who are given to pleasures, who dwell securely, who say in your heart, I am, and there is no one else beside me. I shall not sit as a widow, nor shall I know the loss of children. Talking just like God. Right? God says, I am, and there is no one else beside me. Here the, the lady, the harlot, Babylon is saying, I am, and there is no one else beside me. I dwell securely. I dwell on a firm foundation. Given to pleasures. Revelation describes her sitting on the beast, committing adulteries with the kingdoms of this world, 
dressed again in purple and scarlet and decked with gold and silver, but drinking also the blood of the saints. Given to pleasures. But these two things shall come to you in a moment, in one day, the laws of children and widowhood. They shall come upon you in their fullness because of the multitude of your sorceries, for the great abundance of your enchantments. Halloween there again. Death in the grave. Filth and abominations. Sorceries and enchantments. And today it's embraced. How do we know that professed believers are participating in this Halloween stuff? Well, the majority of people in this country say they believe in God, believe in the Bible. Then also the majority of the people in this country also participate in, in Halloween. So you can't have over 50% over 50% without there being some overlapping somewhere. And who's buying all the Harry Potter books? watching all the witch shows and other garbage that's out there. And Revelation talks about the sorceries. Because of your sorceries, you have deceived the whole world. And the whole world is being deceived with these sorceries and these enchantments. Saying, Lord, Lord, chanting, chanting a chant over and over again and thinking that's what God wants to hear. Saying the words in order. It's not about saying the words in order, it's about saying the words from our heart. It's about talking to God as a friend. Not bringing him down to that level, but talking to him in love and openness. What would you like if your friend or your spouse or your child or your parent only said the same ten words to you over and over again your whole life? Or a few different phrases. You know, every, in the morning they say one phrase, in the afternoon a different phrase, in the evening a different phrase. Certain days a certain phrase. That's all they ever said to you. Sorceries and enchantments were under a spell, satanic spell. Why? Because we've rejected precept upon precept, line upon line, here a little, there a little, bringing the whole word of God together. Verse 10, for you have trusted in your wickedness, and you have said, no one sees me. Your wisdom and your knowledge have warped you, and you have said in your heart, I am, and there is no one else besides me. Again, the devil impersonating God. And Revelation talks about the anti-Messiah. Don't misunderstand that word anti. Anti can be understood two ways. Anti can mean against, but anti can also mean in place of. Like antibiotics, in place of, your, in place of your body fighting the disease, the antibiotic fights your disease for you. It's in place of your body. That's what's called antibiotics. It's not against your body. It's in place of your body. Anti-Messiah impersonates. No one sees. I am. There's no one like me, no one else beside me. Claiming the attributes of God. Claiming the prerogatives of God. Claiming the privileges of God. And thus the whole world will be deceived. 
They've never found a culture, no matter how far back, anthropologists or archaeologists have never found a culture that did not believe in some sort of God. No matter where, no matter how isolated, on some island, New Zealand, or whatever little island anywhere in the world, they've never found a culture that did not believe in some sort of God. Now, it might have been trees or statues or whatever, but they believed in some type of God. God has placed in our hearts a yearning for him. Again, Many cultures in the world have gotten off on the wrong gods, made their own gods, but all have worshipped something. Satan knows that. And so deceiving the world, it won't be an anti-Messiah that comes out against God, but one who stands in place of God, pretending as if he is God, or God here on earth, or God's representative here on earth, saying, there's no one beside me. Therefore, evil shall come upon you. You shall not know from where it arises, and trouble shall fall upon you. You will, not be put, you will not be able to put it off, and desolation shall come upon you suddenly, which you shall not know. So desolation will destroy the whole world. Desolation will take place. You're wearied in the multitude of your counsels. Let now the astrologers and stargazers and monthly prognosticators stand up and save you from what shall come upon you. It shows you again where the alliances are. The sorcery, the magic, the spells, the vain repetition, astrologers, the stargazers, monthly What's the monthly astrologers, right? The, the horoscopes. Man, what a stupid thing. I mean, I don't know how anyone could even think. You got twins. Does that mean they're all going to, they threw out their whole life? That they're going to, the same things are going to happen to them? They read their daily a horoscope and, and, and that thing is going to happen to both of them? And everyone who was born that month? We just ask someone else who was born that month if they had the same week you had. I mean, it's just so, how, how hard is that to disprove? It's amazing. I don't know if newspapers still print. I don't know. Do we still have newspapers? Right? But they had the newspaper. They had the astrology comment. How can that be in the... For years and years, decades and decades, published every day, every week, whatever. And people read that. Unbelievable. Wearied with the multitude of their counsels. They shall be as stubble. Chapter 47. Isaiah, still in Isaiah 47, verse 14. They shall be so destroyed, they will be as stubble. The fire shall burn them. They shall not deliver themselves from the power of the flame. It shall not be, there shall not be a coal to be warmed by, nor a fire to sit before. This is God's strange act. This is God's unusual act. He will destroy the whole earth. Well, how totally will he destroy it? There will not be a coal to warm by, nor a fire to sit before. They shall be a stubble, the fire shall burn them, and they shall not deliver themselves from the power of the flame. Hell is a whole lot hotter than most people think. It's so hot, it burns it up. It just doesn't simmer forever. The text says, destroys them, burns the whole world up, destroys the world, and to the point where there won't be a coal to warm upon, right? When you make a fire, you make a, you know, a campfire or whatever, and it burns down, burns down, burns down. In the morning you wake up, and there's still some coals there. 
No matter how hot it was, no matter how big a wood you had, right? It'll burn it down and there'll still be some coals there. God's fire is so hot, there will not even be a coal to be warmed upon. Nothing but ashes. Look at some other texts that we looked at in the past, in some other chapters. Isaiah chapter 26, verse 11. The fire of your enemies shall devour them. They are dead. They will not live. They are deceased. They will not rise. The devil's not in charge of hell. They're not partying down there. They're not playing cards down there. They're not getting drunk down there. They are dead. The wages of sin is death. Eat of that tree, you will surely die. Not live in another place. You die. They are dead. They will not live. They are deceased. That's what it means. They have ceased from living. They will not rise. Therefore you have punished and destroyed them and made all their memory to perish. Chapter 33, verse 12. The people shall be like the burning of lime, like thorns cut up. They shall be burned in the fire. Again, fire, but burns it so hot. Chapter 10, verse 17. The light of Israel will be for a fire, and his holy one for a flame. It will burn and devour his thorns and briars in one day. It will consume both soul and body. So the whole thing, soul and body, consumed. She said, fear not him who can destroy the body, but rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body. He's quoting right from here. Chapter 29, verse 20. For the terrible one is brought to nothing. The scornful one is consumed. And all who watch for iniquity are cut off. Chapter 17, verse 14. Be line upon line, Precept upon precept, here a little, there a little, right? Isn't that what we're doing? Behold, at even time trouble, before the morning, he is no more. This is the portion of those who plunder us and the lot of those who rob us. They are no more. Zilch, coom, nothing, coom, nothing. Isaiah 51, verse 6. The heavens will vanish away like smoke. The earth will grow old like a garment, and those who dwell in it will die in like manner. But my salvation will be forever, and my righteousness will not be abolished. So we have the contrast. The wicked and what will happen to them, the destruction that will happen to them, and the Lord, the righteous one, the sure foundation the stone in Zion. The tried stone. The precious cornerstone. The Redeemer. The Lord of hosts is his name. Our Savior. Those who follow him, his salvation will be forever. And his righteousness will not be abolished. Quote the whole quote from Romans 6. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. In Yeshua the Messiah is the contrast. Death or eternal life? Not eternal life in one place and eternal life in a different place. That's not what it says. It says the wages of sin is death. Consumed, destroyed, cut off. 
or eternal life in Yeshua the Messiah. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever should believe in him should not live forever in another place, should not perish, but have eternal life. He doesn't have to specify where that eternal life is, because there's only one place where eternal life is. Hell does not have eternal life. It has eternal death. And where is it? This whole world will be burned up. That's what we read. The whole world will be destroyed. He destroys it and burns it up. One big lake of fire. Until it becomes nothing, not even coals left. So hot it burns it up, root and branch. Nothing but stubble. Nothing but ashes. Under the soles of our feet. God's strange act. God doesn't take pleasure in that. God created every single person in this world. He knew us. Even before our mother's womb. He knew us, every one of us individually and everyone on this earth, even before he created Adam and Eve. He knows the plans he has for us, plans to prosper us and not to harm us. He loves us with an everlasting love. He gave his son, Yeshua gave his life for everyone, for the sins of the world, for every single person, those that hear him and accept him and follow him and believe and will not act hastily, and also those who refuse to hear. So his heart breaks. That's why it's his strange act. His unusual act. Maybe the closest type of analogy I can think of is if you had a pet. And you loved that pet. I don't know why you'd love a pet. But if you say you had a pet and you loved that pet, You raise that pet from a little puppy, a little kitten, a little tadpole, a little rock, or whatever you have, you know. And you raise it up. And you love that animal. Out romping around your backyard. Gets into a tangle with a raccoon. Gets bit. Comes down with rabies. What are you going to do with your little pet? or your big pet, or whatever. You're going to just put him in a cage so he doesn't bite you and your family and let him suffer that way and die in there and just foam at the mouth and go nuts? You're going to allow him around your family and allow him to bite your kids? Or would you put him, take him to the vet and put him to... Wouldn't that be the loving thing to do for the animal and for your family and for the neighborhood? We put him to sleep. That's what we say. Take him to the vet and we put him to sleep. And so God, in his mercy and his love, they've rejected every opportunity. Even if God gave them a gazillion more years and a billion more years and more opportunities, and I mean, how much more could he do? He sent his son. And you get to the point, they get to the point, we get to the point that we say, no, I don't want it, and I'm never going to take it. 
And God knows we've reached that point. That we would just destroy ourselves, be in pain, be in misery, and cause pain to others and misery to others. He's not going to allow that to live on and on for eternity. What kind of God is that? Even the cruelest of humans who have lived on this earth have tortured people, have allowed them eventually to die. How cruel would God would that be? God in his mercy for them, as well as for the rest of the universe. And there's many more texts. We just looked at a text out of Isaiah and some that I quoted throughout the Bible. God's word, his salvation is forever. Forever and ever we will live with him. And his righteousness, his righteous standard, his measuring line does not change. It will be, not be abolished, it will be established on the firm foundation of God's word forever and ever. We can experience that, we can live in that. We can begin to Experience that even now. Everlasting life begins now. Believing in the Lord and surrendering to Him. Standing on that firm, strong foundation. That rock of ages. That will not be moved. As we pray together tonight, I invite you, if, if you have been participating in sorcery, or enchantments, or vain repetition, or following a false concept of God, or maybe even had a distorted picture of God, maybe even had a picture of God who is cruel in some ways, who would torture people for billions and billions and billions of years. His very children, Or maybe you've been rejecting God's word, closing your ears to God's word. Or maybe you've just been favoring a few little texts instead of precept upon precept and line upon line, and here a little and there a little. All you've been doing is a little. (laughs) You want God to broaden your mind and your horizon and your heart. Maybe you're not standing on that firm foundation. Maybe you're religious experience, your godly experience, your walk with God has been like on shifting sand, falling and tripping and sliding and falling back. Shifting. Shifting with the tide. Shifting with popular opinion. You like to ask God to place you securely and firmly his sure foundation on his solid rock on the stone of Zion on the Redeemer the Holy One of Israel and you want to accept and experience his salvation and his everlasting life we pray together we have these choices between Babylon and the things of this world and God Let's pray together. Our Lord and our God, King of the universe, 
I'm thankful that you are a loving God. I am thankful that you are all merciful. I'm thankful that you're very long-suffering. Thankful that you're not willing that any should perish. But I'm also thankful that you will not clear the guilty. That your judgment day will come. And that it will be sure and complete. And that it will have its moment. It will have its time. And it will be final and final. Lord, I pray for each one of us here and everyone in the listening capability that we'd all be surrendered to you. You would hold us fast. You'd wrap us in your arms, in your strong arms. That you'd build us up upon you, the chief cornerstone, and that you would knit us together as fit stones building up your temple, building up your kingdom, here and forevermore. In Yeshua's holy name, amen.